Welcome to this week's Rashi Shir, brought to you from the Bet Midrash of Mizrahi in Melbourne, Australia. So welcome all uh, on Zoom or listening to a podcast. And we continue with the last peruk of, Pas- of peruk Yudalad, which is Pasuk Kaf Dalad. So <clears throat> we did the first part last week. And what's happening is this is the end of the war between the four kings and the five kings. And Abraham has intervened on behalf of the five kings and rescued their property and their captives from the four kings. And the king of Sodom said, you can keep the money, but give me back the people. And Abraham said, no, I don't want any of your money. And then he says, in Pasuk Kafdalad, Biladai rak asher ochlu hanarim except for only which the lads ate, in other words, the expenses of the na'arim, the chelek ha'anashim asher holchu iti, and the portion of the men who went with me. And then it says, arne eshkol umamre, referring to those three people, heim yichu echelkam, they will take their portion. And I said last week, there's, there's a, an ambiguity in the Pasuk. You can read it as three separate groups. You can say there's na'arim, there's Anashim, and there's Aner Eshkol Mamre. Or you can say that the Anashim is the same as Aner Eshkol Mamre. And Rashi says, we'll go back to the beginning of Rashi on Kavdalat, Hana'arim, Avodai Asher Halchu Iti. They are my servants who went with me. And the words Asher Halchu Iti come from the Pasuk after Ha'anashim. So Rashi is combining the Na'arim and the Anashim. And that leaves Aner Eshkol Umamre as separate. And that leads on to the next issue. Um, because, well, Rashi explains, the Od Aner Eshkol Umamre. So Rashi is very clear. He puts in the Od to distinguish Hana'arim, which he then, without specifying, includes with Ha'anashim. But Aner Eshkol Umamre are a different category. So where do they come in? So that's what Rashi is now going to explain. Even though my servants entered into the war, who he and his servants and he smote them. We said that um, a little bit earlier. And Aner and Chavirov, Aner and his friends, they sat by the vessels to guard them. Now, why does he say that? Because even though Anna, Eshkol, and Mamre were in the story, um, a little bit earlier in Pasuk Yud Gimel, yeah, where the pallet came and told, the refugee came and told to Abraham that Lot had been captured, we saw in Pasuk Yud Gimel that Abraham was sitting there at that moment chatting to Anna, Eshkol, and Mamre. So we know they were there. And yet, when it comes to the chasing, that was just Avodav his servants. So Anna Eshkol Mamre weren't doing anything. They weren't chasing, they weren't fighting. In which case, why are they mentioned now by Abraham as deserving of a share of the, of the spoils? That's Rashi's problem. And Rashi says, so what is it that they were doing which isn't actively fighting? Ah, every army needs to protect its supplies. And that's essentially what they were doing. So they were 
Yoshvu ala kelim lishmor. They were sitting by the vessels to guard them. So that is Rashi's conclusion, given that they were deserving of something, but they weren't in the war. So why were they deserving of something? So then you might ask, well, is it such a big deal to be sitting by the kelim, by the vessels, to guard them? Says Rashi, afilu hachi, heim yikhu chelkam. Even so, says in the Pasuk, they will take their portion. In other words, Abraham is teaching us that even people who do not go off into the thick of the battle, nevertheless deserve to be paid. And continues Rashi, stressing that we have a, a new law here being established by Abraham. David. David learned from this. Now, um, I'm a bit curious, and I'm not 100% sure why we need the next few lines. There's quite a few lines of exposition about David HaMelech, which is not directly related to our subject. As we will see, Rashi's actually going to solve a problem in the text of Shmuel Aleph, which he's about to quote and he's going to explain. Now you can understand a word there in, in Sefer Shmuel. But I think what he's doing is what I just said, that Abraham is saying to Melech Saddam what he might not otherwise have realized, that the people who, Yashvu al-Akelim Nishmar, the people who guard the supply lines, they also need their chilek, their portion. And Rashi is going to prove that Abraham is establishing this as a law. By, and how does he prove that? By somebody else who follows that law in the future. So now let's see um, what he means. David. Sha'amar, David learned from this because David said in Shmuel, Allah, Perak Lama, Pasukab Dalak, Kachelek Hayored Bamilchama, Ukachelek Hayoshev Alakailim, Yachtav Yechalku. So when David was in a war, sorry, I forget which one, he said that the spoils we divided, a portion, or like the portion for those who went into the war, also the same portion for those who sat by the Kalim. Together they will divide. Continues Rashi. And there it also says in the next Pasuk, and this is the key point that Rashi wants to bring out, and it was from that day and before, he put it as a law and a judgment. Below Nehemiah, and then Rashi says, it does not say, normally we would expect, from that day forwards, there was this new law made. But here it says, from that day previously. So how can it mean that David's establishing a law from that day previously? It means David is not establishing a law, but he's echoing a pre-existing law. Um, because this decree, this law, was already put in the days of Abraham. So as I said, it's interesting that Rashi is explaining a word in Sefer Shmuel, and he's explained why it's Bamala and not Bahala, why it's before and not forward about this new law, or rather it's not a new law, that's the point. But Rashi's task here is certainly not to explain Pesukim in Shmuel. Rashi's task is to explain Pesukim in Bereshit. So it seems to me, um, when I say it seems to me, it means I couldn't find any of the Mephoshim saying this, so you've got to... <laughs> All you've got is me, I'm afraid. But it seems to me that Rashi wants to prove that Abraham is establishing a law and justifying Anna Eshkal and Mamre getting their portion, which wouldn't have been the case before Abraham established this law. And then we can see that it's actually a law which takes effect and applies in later times as well. Thus endeth uh, 
Perik Yudalud and the whole war. And now we get on to Perik Tetvav. Now, um, it's a bit um, foolish to say, what is the most important Perik in the whole Chumash? Um, you might say the first chapter of Breshit, you might say Shemot Perik Kaf, which is Matan Torah at Har Sinai. But this past Perik, Perik Tetvav, will have a, will be a good candidate for the most important Perik in the Torah for reasons which will become clear. Probably not this week. So it starts like this. Achar hadavarim ha'ela, haya davar Hashem el Avram b'machazeh. After these things, the word of Hashem was to Avraham in a vision, Lemor saying, Altira Avram, do not be afraid, Avram, anochi magenlach, I will shield you, sacharcha, your reward, Harbe Ma'od, will be very great. So, well, let's just deal with the first Rashi, uh, because I think we can deal with that separately from what's coming next. The first Rashi says, After these things. And then he quotes a uh, statement of Chazal, which uh, give us a general rule about how to interpret this phrase. Wherever you find the words, as in, Samuch. It means it's near. It's near chronologically to the previous event. But if you find acharei, as in acharei hadavarim ha'ela, it's muflag, it's distant, it's separated. And now this one is achar hadavarim ha'ela. So first thing to say is there's a certain logic, well, one would expect there's a logic to this comment of Chazal, because what does acharei mean? It means it's the plural of acher. It's after multiple times. And that's why it's muflag. That's why it's distant from the previous event. But achar is just one gap from the previous event. And that's why it's samach. That's why it's near. Now, why does Rashi have to tell us this? And I would suggest two reasons. Number one, simple. We want to know the meaning of the words. Because achar hadavarim ha'ela is not clear. It could mean shortly after. It could mean a long time after. So Rashi's coming to tell you it means shortly after. Rashi's first... Uh, Part of his agenda is simply to tell you what the words mean. But as we are about to see, um, it's very relevant that Rashi is saying that Achahad of links what went before with what's going to happen. That Rashi, Abraham's fear, which Hashem tells him not to be afraid of, is very much related to what has just happened. So Rashi needs to say Achah uh, means Somach to make sense of what's coming next. You see, the problem is that Hashem is telling Abraham not to be afraid, but we have no idea what he is afraid of. Rashi has to fill that in. And as we will see very soon, he's a, Rashi says that Abraham is afraid of consequences of the war that he has just fought. Sarah. Just a question on that rule of Chazal. Does that hold up even if it's Vayhi Achar? I don't know. Um, I would have thought so, but I haven't checked. You're probably um, re referring to the another rule why vayhi achar is a bad thing and vahaya is a good thing. Uh, is that what you were thinking of? Um, yeah, a bit of that, like the mikula sugya, but also just I mean but the akedas not too far. Ahar, and I think we have vayhi achare. So. Um, I haven't checked. I didn't go back to that source to see its examples. So I don't know for sure, but I think so. 
Okay, we can okay. Uh, we can have that as homework and uh, look up some examples. Um, sure. That <laughs> comes from Bereshit Rabba Pera Mem Dalad Hey, and there will probably be examples there. That's how the Gemara, that's how the Midrash works. Okay, so remember, the, the big question is, what is Abraham afraid of? Because Hashem's response to whatever Abraham's worried about is two things. Number one, don't, or three things, I'm sorry, don't be afraid. Anochi magenlach, I will shield you. And your reward will be very great. So Rashi's task is to see what was it that Abraham why, why did Abraham need those particular assurances? Obviously, Hashem is saying, don't be afraid, in response to a fear. So what was Abraham afraid of? So Rashi says, After this miracle was done for him, that he killed the kings, and he was worried, the Omer, and he said, Shema kibalti sachar al kod sidkoti. Maybe I have received my reward for all my merit or all my righteousness. In other words, that's why a miracle was done. It's obvious that to defeat four mighty kings almost single handedly, well, maybe him and Eliezer, or maybe him and 318 of his servants, but these were the four kings who had defeated the five kings and various other ethnic groups that they slaughtered along the way, as we saw at the beginning of the story. So obviously it's miraculous for Abraham to defeat them. So he worries that maybe he's used up his schar, he's used up his merit. Ah, now that's fine, because now we understand why Hashem says, Hashem says, your merit is very great. So Rashi says that Abraham was worried that his merit wouldn't be great that he would be using up some of his credit, if you like, by having these miracles done to him. So therefore, continues Rashi, Lakach Omar lo hamakom. Therefore, Hashem said to him, Altira Avram, don't be afraid, Avram. Anochima genlach, I will shield you. And now things get complicated because Rashi continues to say, after quoting those words, don't be afraid, Abraham, I will shield you. What does Abraham need shielding from? Min ha'onesh, from the punishment. Shalote anesh, I'll call oton nafashot shaharagta. You will not be punished for all those souls that you killed. And then he says, Umasha atadoeg al kibul scharcha. And that which regarding which you will be afraid of receiving a reward, then he says, your reward is very great. Okay. So, according to Rashi, number one, Abraham was afraid of using up too much reward. So Hashem says to him, you won't get punished. Now, the problem is obvious. And everyone comments on this and has a problem. And there are lots of different answers, and I'll share one of them. Um, but Rashi has gone out of his way to spell out what Abraham is afraid of. And then he says, Hashem responded to a different fear altogether. Now, the word, the, 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 key, the key that Rashi is, is using, or rather the, what Rashi is being driven by, is the words, Anochi magen lacha, I will shield you. 
So Rashi needs to say, what is he, what does he need shielding from? Now, Rashi gives a particular answer to that and not a different answer. First of all, it's worth noting that Rashi's answer, what does he need shielding from, is punishment, divine justice. He doesn't need shielding from retribution by the relatives of the kings. You might think in a normal course of events that after you've smitten one enemy, you have to be afraid that other remnants of that enemy will rise up against you. That's like the way of the world. Rashi rules that out. And I suspect that's because the whole thing is miraculous. The whole thing is that Hashem has given him the power to defeat these four kings. So there's going to be no comeback because Abraham has miraculously dealt with all that. Or if just as Hashem put those four kings into his hand, Hashem is not going to allow any residue to rise up against them in retribution. So what is he going to shield him from? It's not from further conflict. So it's from something much more divine, if you like, from any punishment. But the question on Rashi is why didn't he say that Abraham was worried about punishment? For Hashem to then respond, don't worry, I will shield you from punishment. Again, Rashi said, Abraham is worried about receiving a reward. And that's fine, because Hashem replies, your reward will be very great. Abraham is also reassured that he won't be punished. However, Rashi didn't say that he was worried about being punished. So there's two answers to this. Oh, there's many actually, but two I want to share. One simple and one clever. The simple answer is it's obvious that if Hashem says, I'm going to shield you, then Abraham is worried that he needs shielding. And because it's so obvious, Rashi doesn't need to waste ink and tell us. And that's a, a good answer. And it's consistent with Rashi's me method in various places. So if it's obvious that Hashem says, I'm going to shield you, then Abraham must have been worried about something that, from which he needs shielding. But Rashi doesn't need to spell that out. The Maharal gives a very, what I would call a clever answer. And it goes like this. Abraham was worried that he might have, he didn't know if he had won the war miraculously or not. And he's worried that if he's won it miraculously, then he's got a lot of merit used up. He's used up his reward by having these miracles done for him. If, however, he's won it naturally, then he won't be worried about reward. When Hashem says, um, you won't be punished for, sorry, when Hashem says, your reward is very great. Uh, sorry, I'm a bit confused. It goes like this. When Hashem says, your reward is very great, Avraham then worries, well, hang on. If I haven't used up my reward, which, by the way, is not the same thing. Your reward is very great. is not the same as saying you haven't used up any of it. But Abraham is worried, says the Mahara, that when Hashem says your reward is very great, Abraham thinks, well, maybe I haven't touched my reward because I was conducting a natural war. Now, in a natural war, there is tragically collateral damage. No person uh, is ever able to aim their guns or their arrows so precisely that they only kill the guilty and never kill the innocent. It is a terribly sad fact about war that there is such a thing as innocent bystanders. There is what is called, uh, perhaps deliberately, uh, euphemistically, collateral damage. So Abraham goes like this. My reward is very great, which means maybe I haven't touched my reward, 
which means maybe the battle was fought naturally, which means maybe I killed innocent people, which means I'm worried about being punished. Only when Hashem says your reward is very great does Abraham then worry about being punished for innocent victims. Had Hashem not said your reward is very great, Abraham wouldn't have been worried about innocent victims because he would have known that the battle would have been miraculous. And in the course of the miracle, Hashem would have made sure that only the guilty suffer and not the innocent. So it's precisely because Hashem says, that Abraham is worried about the innocent people he might have killed. Had Hashem not said that, the worry wouldn't have arisen. That's why Rashi doesn't spell it out before the answer is given. Only once the answer is given to Abraham, then arises the next concern about being punished for innocent people. And that's why Hashem has to say, I'm not going to punish you. Sorry, you're not going to be punished, i.e. there were no innocent people who suffered. That is how the Maharal explains that the concern about the punishment didn't exist at the beginning of the conversation. And that's why Rashi doesn't mention it at the beginning of the conversation. It only existed at the end of the conversation. I call that very clever. That's the Maharal. Okay, let's go on. Pasuk Bet. Vayoma Avram, Adonai Elohim, Matitainli, Hashem, Avraham said to my master Hashem, uh, or my master Elohim, what will you give me? And I go, we'll leave Ariri untranslated, because Rashi's got a lot to say. Uven Meshek Beiti, and the Ben Meshek will also leave untranslated, of my house, who the Mesek Eliezer. You know what? We'll leave that untranslated as well. So Rashi's going to help us a lot with this verse. So first of all, Holech Iriri. I go Iriri. What does Ariri mean? Menachem ben Surak Perushu. So Menachem ben Surak was a Spanish uh, godel, a uh, great one, um, in the 10th century. And he wrote a dictionary. And in his dictionary, uh, he explained this word, Ariri. And um, he said, Perushu Loshan Yoresh, explained it as meaning a Yoresh, as a descendant, or, sorry, an inheritor, um, i.e. a child. Um, according to Menachem Mensurah, whom Rashi quotes, and Rashi's own explanation, which will come to soon, it means the same thing that Abraham is observing his lack of children. But the root, the etymological root by which we get there is different. So Menachem ben Surak, whom Rashi is quoting, says it means a Yorish, a inheritor. And Abraham says, I have no inheritor. Now why it says inheritor rather than son, um, we'll come to. Just bear that in mind. And the Chaber lo, and he joins it, this is Menachem ben Surak, joins the word ariri here to er v'oner in Malachi, where the word er, if you look it up there, does clearly mean um, having a descendant, having a, an inheritor. So Ariri is the opposite of Er. It means below Yoresh, without an inheritor. Now how can, if Er means inheritor, how can Ariri, which is obviously the same word, it's got the iron ratio in it, mean without an inheritor? So Rashi will explain that sometimes words can mean with or without the same thing, in the same word. For instance, Ka'asher Tomar, as you say, 
All my produce, now tusharesh means to uproot, which means you leave it without roots. So the word sharesh is, by coincidence, the sharesh of the word sharesh. It means root. And you, it means, and Rashi uses this uh, in a couple of other places, it means to have, give it roots or to remove its roots. The word uproot is the opposite of root, but in Hebrew it's the same word. That's the clever thing. So, says Rashi, what Menachem ben Surik means is the word er means inheritor, but it can also mean having no inheritor. Okay, that's how Menachem ibn Surik explains the word ariri. Now, Rashi says, I don't like that. And um, I think the best explanation of why he doesn't like that is really because the source of the, the word that uh, Surik is comparing it to is ayin resh. And our word is ayin, resh, yud, resh, yud. In particular, it's got a double resh. And really the argument is, is can a word ayin, resh, resh, be compared to a noun ayin, resh? Now I'll tell you in advance that Rashi is going to compare it to a, another word, but an adjective or possibly a verb, uh, which sometimes appears in the form of ayin, resh. But when it's a verb, what, what Rashi believes is the ayin, resh, that he's going to quote in various places is the shortened form of ayin reish reish. But for Menachem, um, Ibn, uh, Menachem ben Surak's version, it's a noun ayin reish, and that can't turn into ayin reish reish. So I hope you're with me here. We're getting a bit technical, lots of reishes floating about. But Rashi, his problem with Menachem ben Surak's interpretation is that ayin reish as a noun is not the same as ayin reish reish. So what does Rashi think it is? Uh, I'm sorry, um, Rashi's still got a bit more to say about this tisharesh. Uh, Ta'aker shorasheha. The word tisharesh can mean to uproot its roots. Kach loshen ariri, and we're still in the um, Ben Surak uh, explanation. So similarly, loshen ariri can mean chaser banim. Uh, even though er ariri comes from er, meaning inheritor, it can also mean having no inheritors, no children. Obalaz de se enfant, lacking enfant, lacking children. That's what it can, that's a, a French word which is equivalent. Okay, that is Rashi's first offering, which it doesn't come from Rashi, it comes from like the classic source, which Rashi quotes quite a lot as a source for the meaning of Hebrew words. And then he says, I don't entirely agree. And he says, Linearer, I think Erva Oner. Um, the example in Malachi, which Ben Surak quoted, he says, I read differently. Er, um, from the root of er in Shia Hashirim. Now there, that is usually translated as my heart is awake. Uh, er as in uh, hitorari, hitorari, get up, wake up. Um, but Rashi is not using that, 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 that meaning of er. And libi er, the way Rashi's reading, it does not mean my heart is awake. Basically, it means, sorry, let me read on a little bit, the Ariri Loshan Chorban. Okay, this is Rashi's Chiddush. Ariri does not relate to the word Yoresh, inheritor. It relates to the word Chorban, destruction. Libi Er in Shir Hashirim means my heart is destroyed because I'm very upset. Doesn't mean my heart is awake. And he's now going to give quite a few examples of how some form of arir or er, which is a contracted form of the same thing, means destruction. 
Bechain Uru Uru, Tehillim Kuflam at Zion, that's by the rivers of Babylon, Tehillim, where it says the enemy came and said, destroy, destroy, Uru Uru, Ayin Reish. Bechain Arot Yasod in Chabakuk, the destruction of the foundations. Bechain Arer, Tit Arer in Yimiyahu, which also means destroy. Now there, incidentally, you haven't just doubled the Reish, you've doubled the Ayin, just to confuse things. Bechain En Safania, Bechain Ki Arza Ara. Era, sorry, they have destroyed the cedars, which were the defense of the city being referred to there in Sepania. So Rashi has brought um, one, two, three, four examples. And I don't know why he had to bring all four, by the way. It's a, it's a good question and I don't have an answer. But in each of the four, the root Ayin Reish Reish, which appears in different forms, including Ayin Reish and including Ayin Reish Ayin Reish, means destruction. So, says Rashi, Abraham is observing to HaKadosh Baruch Hu that he is arriri, destroyed. Now, why is he saying he's destroyed? When he means, I haven't got children. Now, that is a separate question. Why does he use the word children? Sorry, destruction. Why doesn't he just say, Ainli banim? And we can ask a similar question on Menachem ben Surak's uh, interpretation, that heir means lacking in inheritor. Uh, and I think it is significant that it's inheritor that he's lacking, not just children. And I think the answer is this. We all know that it's a natural desire to have children, and it's a terrible suffering for people who want children not to have them. But Abraham's desire is something much, much more than that. His children not only will be the children whom he loves and cares for, but they will have a mission their mission will be to continue Abraham's life's work by spreading the message of ethical monotheism, as we would call it today. There is one God and he is good. And uh, as I'm saying this, I realize they can do this in one of two ways or both, and it's not clear which one he means. Either, and this, this is a debate about the, the role of Jews in the world, either to literally preach the message to the wider world, as Abraham himself did, or to live as a people guided by Hashem and his mitzvot, and thereby demonstrate, serve as a model for how to serve God. Uh, I just throw that in because there's a, there's a debate about what is our role in the world? Is it to literally go around telling all the non-Jews about God, as Abraham did? Or is our role in the world to keep the mitzvot, and that is how the message will get out? Either way, that's why Abraham wants children. That, not just so he can uh, cuddle a baby, but because his mission, if it were to come to the end at his own demise, would not be fulfilled. It would not be sustained. So I think it's significant that the parish of Menachem ben Surak, which Rashi quoted first of all, connects heir to Yoresh. I don't have an inheritor. What does it mean, an inheritor? Is he worried that he's got all this property, but he won't be able to give it to a child to pass on through the family? No. What he wants to Morish, what he wants to bequeath is the message and the mission. That's why it's a Yoresh that he's lacking. But even stronger is Rashi's own interpretation. According to Rashi, and this is a very, very powerful message for Abraham and in a sense for every Jewish parent, that children are not just there to fill up the house. Children are not just there to satisfy a basic primeval need and a desire and a love for progeny. Children are there to carry on the Jewish mission. And if they don't, and if you don't have children, chas v'shalom, 
that is destruction. That is what Abraham is saying, according to Rashi. I am currently in a state of Khorban because my mission is going to be destroyed if there is no one to continue it. That is why Ariri, says Rashi, means Khorban. Okay, let's move on. What does it mean, Uben Meshek Beiti? What does the word Meshek mean? But before we um, answer that, we will take Sarah's question. Sorry, thank you for tolerating me. Apologize not. Um, just wondering about how the Rav understands the Mati Tenli. Like, is it a question of, is Abraham asking physically or, you know, in any spiritual way, what will you give me? Or is it like, are we meant to understand it in the context of Abraham not having any progeny? Like, what could you possibly give me if there's no one coming after me to whom to give it? Or is it, what will you give me? Please let it be children. Okay. Very good question. So I haven't spent time on that, neither in preparing or in delivering the shir, because, and this is my usual fallback position, who else doesn't comment on it? Rashi. Rashi. So I don't have to, because this is a Rashi shir. But um, I will, uh, it's interesting, by the way, that Rashi doesn't. Uh, and by the way, you know, you, you, we often have questions and they come up in the shir and they come up in our own learning. And you think, well, that's a really good question. But the fact that Rashi doesn't answer it means he doesn't think there's a problem. Okay, that doesn't mean doesn't mean you shouldn't think either. <laughs> um, and uh, you know you're entitled to think everything is a question, especially though there are many many other maporshim. We've got things to say on the words that Rashi sometimes doesn't. But it's significant that if Rashi doesn't explain it, he doesn't think it needs explaining. So um, let's have a go. I think it's directly related to Anochi Hole Hariri, where Hashem uh, Abraham is saying, "I am going childless." So however you explain it, it means I'm childless. So Matitainli is what can you give me? Um, yeah, no, I see. What, I, I understand your question. So either what can you give me? Please give me children. Or what's the point of you giving me anything since I don't have children? Is that really your question? Yeah. I, as in, I assume it's not what I suggested as the first option. Like, what oh, what question? are you actually going to give me? No, I don't think it, I don't think it's that. Yeah. Okay, I offer two suggestions, and I'm, I'm yeah. not able to decide between them. Um, what are you giving me? In a sense of, please let you. Please, you should give me something, i.e., children. But actually, I think it makes it reads better as, of all that you you've told me, my reward is very great. Now that implies there's going to be some yeah. gift, uh, presumably of some sort of spiritual nature, not not physical, because that's Abraham but you're going to give me something as a function of my having a lot of rewards still stored up, which hasn't been diminished by the miraculous deliverance you've just given me in the war. So how, what, what's the point of what you're giving me, given that I don't have children? There's no point in you giving me something because I don't have children. I think that's the way to read it, but I'm not sure. Thank you. Okay. So what does Ben Meshek mean? What does it mean? So Rashi says, Katargumo. It's like the Targum translates it, which is Ubar Panasa Hadein Baveti. The person in charge of the Paranasa, the sustenance of this sustenance of my house. So Targum Onkelos translates Ben Meshek as Bar Panasa, person in charge of sustenance, chap in charge, basically, of the house. And that is Rashi's attempt, Rashi's, sorry, explanation. And he says it's katargumo. 
he doesn't quote the Targum, I just did, but he sort of explains what the Targum means. Shakol beiti nizun al piv. All of my house, i.e. my household, is fed by his command. He's the chap in charge. Ben Meshek means um, manager of the house, as Rashi will translate in just a moment. Kamo. Now, in order to explain this, it's always good to find a precedent where the word yishak, which is the root of meshek, means what Abraham, so what, what Rashi says it means. And he says, come over alpicha yishak. On your mouth, they will be fed, or it will be fed. That is referring to Yosef being appointed by Paro to be in charge of feeding the people of Mitzrayim during the famine. So Rashi finds a source, or sorry, a, a comparison. The word yishak obviously means feeding. So that's what it means here. And, can, can, um, uh, and it means apotropa, shali. My, I think that's a Greek word, apotropos, which uh, also occurs in the Gemara many times. It means uh, guardian or manager. So that's what um, Ben Meshek means. And then Rashi has to say, why is this relevant? Because at this point, Abraham is crying, and I'll say crying, that he hasn't got children. And then he says, Demetic Eliezer is the guy who's managing my house. What's one got to do with the other? I mean, he's, he's crying about the lack of children. And then he tells you who's the head of the staff in the house. What is the connection? So Rashi answers that by saying, Ve'ilu haya li ben, if I had a child, he would be appointed over mine, i.e. over my household. The only reason that I've appointed a non-family member into this senior position is because I don't have a family member who can do it themselves. So that's a function of being Anochi Halech Ariri, because I am going childless, look, what a, a result that is, the result of me going childless is Uben Meshek Beiti, who domestic Eliezer. That I have to have Eliezer as in charge of my house, and naturally I would put my own child to be in charge of my house. Okay, so that is what Meshek Beiti means. Now, there is an obvious compass, comparison between the last words, who domestic, sorry, domestic Eliezer. One is Meshek and one is Mesek. By the way, I'll mention now that sometimes a shin and a sin can be compared, um, it, certainly for the sake of a drasha, as we're about to see. Um, they, uh, some classical experts will say, originally they were the same letter, others <coughs> won't, but we do occasionally find a drasha which compares a shin and a sin. Anyway, so Ben Meshek Beiti means the manager of my house, and who is the manager of my house? Who? Domesek Eliezer. Now, Eliezer, we, we've seen uh, before in the previous parak. Um, he's not mentioned all that often in the Chumash. He's mentioned a lot in the Midrash. Um, I think this might be the only other place that he's actually mentioned explicitly in the Chumash. I'll have to check that. But so we're told that there's this guy called Eliezer who has been mentioned previously as who's in charge of the house. But why does it mean he's Domesek? What is Domesek Eliezer? Eliezer is Eliezer. Who's Domesek Eliezer? Says Rashi, Lafi Hatargum, according to the Targum, Midamesek Haya. He was from Damascus, which in Hebrew is called Damesek. And Rashi, sorry, Uncle says, 
who Damashka'a Eliezer, which means the um, Damascusite. And the Aleph on the end of Damascus is like uh, a Yud in Hebrew. It means the person who comes from Damascus. So um, that is the Targum, that is the simple Pshat. And then Rashi says, Ulafi Midrash Agada, having given the Targum, which although he doesn't say explicitly is Pshat, I'm going to say is Rashi's Pshat. But this is one of those occasions where Rashi brings a Pshat and a Midrash. And the Midrash says, Sharadaf Hamalachim Ad Demesek. He's called Demesek Eliezer because he chased the kings up to Damascus. And did we actually say that explicitly? Yes, we did. In Yudala Tet Vav. He pursued them up till uh, Chova, which is to the left of Damascus. So we relate that to uh, Damascus, to this Damascus. Eliezer, Damascus Eliezer is called Eliezer the Damascusite because he chased them to Damascus. Now, we've had two explanations so far. Abshat is he came from Damascus and the Midrash that he chased them to Damascus. And they both explanations have a bit of a problem in terms of the order of words because uh, it should say Eliezer Hadamaski. Eliezer, the Damascusite. And why do I say it should do? Because that's pretty consistent in, in, in the Chumash, how if a person is related to a place, it's the name of the person followed by the place. Yet here we have the place followed by the person. And that perhaps is why Rashi needs another explanation, which actually is number three in this case. He then says, Uba Talmud, in the Talmud. I think some versions say Talmud Shalanu. Um, does anyone's book say Talmud Shalanu? No? Okay. Uh, but he means about the Talmud Babli. Rashi did know about the Yerushalmi, even though it wasn't widespread um, in Europe at Rashi's time, but he did know about the Yerushalmi and he quotes it occasionally. But he, when he says Talmud, he means the Talmud Babli. And he says, Uba Talmud, Darshu Notrikon. They expounded it as a Notrikon. What is Notrikon? Well, I can't really translate it into a single word but it's a drasha based on splitting the word up and making each bit of the word a shortened form of other words. If anyone can suggest a better translation, then please go ahead. Sometimes it's almost like an acronym, but more often it's bits of words um, drawn from bigger bits of words. You'll see what I mean when we say, Darshan notrikam doler umashker mitorot rabo la'acherim. Dole, he drew, like you draw water, umashker, and then gave to drink, mitorot rabo, from the Torah of his master, le talmidim, to other students. So he was like the understudy who assisted with the lessons. Abraham was a teacher. Abraham taught people about the nature of God and how to live. And Eliezer assisted in the process. Dole, umashker, he draws and gives to drink. And that is contracted as to de mesek. By the way, this is why I said at the beginning that sometimes a sin is used as a shin in drushes because mashke has got a shin and mesek has got a sin. So we are definitely sort of uh, doing that. Um, but de mesek, the dalad here doesn't mean from in Aramaic um, as it usually does in Aramaic. And, and according to Rashi, there's plenty of bits of Aramaic in Hebrew. Um, 
uh, it means part, it's a contraction of dollar, the dollar at the beginning of dollar, and mesek is from mashke. Uh, so what Rashi has done is explain what the word, the mesek Eliezer means, and he's given us three explanations. Now, you can also ask, maybe there's a significance in Rashi, in, in Rashi putting into Abraham, uh, into Abraham's mouth, this idea that not only is Eliezer his manager, but he's also his uh, junior teacher. So some want to say that this is all part of Abraham's creed occur, that he wants children, and saying, look, if Eliezer, who is not my child, is not related to me, if he can be part of the educational process, if he can draw down my words and feed them to others, then how much more so would a child of mine be able to do that? So even though Eliezer is really good, I mean, he's good at managing the house, and according to this notricon, which Rashi brings as a third explanation, he's good at teaching my students, how much more so would it be beneficial if I had a child of my own who could do that? So in that sense, this phrase, is a continuation of Abraham's cry for children. So, Pasuk Gimel. Vayomer Avram, Hain li lo natata zera. Behold, to me you have not given children. Behine ben veiti yoresh oti. And behold, the son of my house will inherit me. So, um, well, let's just see what Rashi says. Hain li lo natata zera. Umato elet bachol asher titainli. And what benefit is there in all that you give me? By the way, I think this is the answer to Sarah's question, because I think Rashi has deliberately used the lotion of Matitainli, which came from Pasuk Bet. And now Rashi brings that into his explanation of Pasuk Gimel, which is the conclusion of Pasuk Bet. Mato elet bachol asher titainli. What benefit will there be in all that you give me? You can give me all sorts of nice things, but they won't be to my benefit, because ben, uh, ben beiti yoreshoti, this person of my house, he will inherit from me, and he won't be the same as my children carrying it on. Now, Rashi's got a bit of a problem. Uh, it may not be unique to Rashi, but it, it is in a sense um, that Pasuk Gimel seems to repeat Pasuk Bet. That what is uh, added in Pasuk Gimel when he says, Hain li nonatata zera, Because Rashi explained Pasuk Bet really in line with Pasuk Gimel, that, look, I have no inheritor other than Eliezer. The question is, what does Pasuk Gimel add? And that's why Rashi says it's really the summation of what Abraham is asking about. And that's why Rashi leads it back to Matitainli, which was the beginning of the two Pasuk phrase from Pasuk Bet to Pasuk Gimel. So because in Pasuk Gimel, Rashi, uh, Abraham says what Abraham hasn't said explicitly in Pasuk Bet, although Abra, Rashi implied that that's what was Abraham was in Abraham's mind. But in Pasuk Gimel, Rashi, uh, Abraham said explicitly, Ben Beti Yoresh Oti. Um, this person of my house, I, Eliezer, will inherit me. So Rashi has to say, therefore, what this means is because of that fact, and uh, sorry, really, oh, okay, Rashi's commenting on the words, Hain Li Lona Tata Zera. Because you haven't given me children, 
Therefore, this explains the question. Sorry, really, this was the answer to Sarah's question, which I should have thought of the time. But this really explains the meaning of Matitenli. That, says Rashi, is the purpose of Pasuk Gimel to tie in the reality of Matitain Lee, because I have no children, and Ben Beiti Yoresh Oti. So now let's see Hashem's response. So we're only going to start this because uh, there's a lot to say. Uh, actually, not a lot to say on Pasuk Dalad. In fact, nothing at all on Pasuk Dalad, but a lot to say on Pasuk K. Pasuk Dalad says, Hashem Behold, the word of Hashem was to him, Leimorah, saying, Lo yirashecha zeh. This one will not inherit you, i.e., considering Abraham has said explicitly in Pasuk Gimel and implicitly according to Rashi in Pasuk Bet, he is bothered that Eliezer will be his inheritor. Hashem says, don't worry, that's not what's going to happen. Ki im asher mima'echa, hu yirashecha. But rather, somebody who will come from your innards, he will inherit you. Now, by the way, Rashi doesn't say anything in Pasuk Galad. Um, but what I'm about to say really is relevant to what's underlying everything that Abraham is saying. And I think Rashi alludes to this as well, so I'll mention it. That, um, as we learn actually from this week's Sedra in Bamidba, Perik Gimel, Pasuk Aleph, that anyone whom you teach Torah to is considered as your child. Um, that's, a, that's a very important thought and a very important message for educators, that our Talmidim are our children. Uh, which means we are their parents. But anyway, that's for another time. Um, so Abraham could have thought, well, maybe when Hashem has promised me children, it's sort of metaphorical children. It's children because they're Talmai Talmidim. Now, that would be fine. After all, they are like children. Um, but Hashem says, "Don't. that's not what's going to happen. Don't think that's what's going to happen. And he stresses that somebody, Yetzei Mime'echa, who will come out from your insides, i.e. your biological child, he will be your inheritor. Okay, and then Pasuk He. He took him outside. And he said, So we'll translate habet now as look, but later on we will translate it differently. Please look to the heavens. Usafur hakochavim and count the stars. If you are able to count them, i.e. you're not, and he said to him, so will be your descendants. So your descendants will be like the stars, or they'll be uncountable like the stars. So don't worry about not having any children. You're going to have lots and lots of descendants. Now, Rashi has three explanations of Vayotze Oto Hachutza. Um, and in the third one, he'll also tie in the meaning of Habet. But let's see what Rashi says. Vayotze Oto Hachutza, Lefi Pshuto, according to the simple meaning, Hotzio Me'oholo, he took him out from his tent, Lachutz, to outside, Lirot Hakochavim, to see the stars. So the simple question is, why does Hashem need to take him outside? Now, what was the medium of this message? It was in a vision. We learned that in Pasuk Aleph, the Machazer. It was in a vision. And a vision doesn't need to be inside or outside. It's, I mean, it's in one's head, really. So Abraham could have received the vision anywhere, certainly inside his tent. 
So why now does Hashem need to take him outside? And the answer is to see the stars, because the stars were going to be a focal point of this message. So he had to see the stars. And that's why he took him outside. Problem, and perhaps this is why Rashi needs another explanation, is, is that still true? Because if Abraham wanted to, see, if Hashem wanted Abraham to see the stars, he doesn't really need to take him outside. He could have constructed some sort of divine planetarium inside Abraham's tent. The whole thing's a vision anyway. We're going to have, by the end of this period, we're going to have some visions of some quite weird and wonderful things, which obviously are part of the vision. So stars could have also been part of the vision. So why does it need that Hashem has to take him outside? Or you can ask the question slightly differently. If it's just that he goes outside to see the stars, it's not a big deal. And if it's not a big deal, why does the Torah have to mention it? So either way, why does it have to happen? Or why does it have to be mentioned? Leave us a little bit lacking in what the second and third explanation are going to be. But since we only have just over five minutes maximum left, and the next, the second explanation has a lot to talk about, I think we will pause there. Um, I'll leave your appetite whetted, I hope. So we've just had the first explanation, we've got the second big one to go, and then a third one as well, and that is where we will resume Mir Tashem next week. Are there any questions? No? Rob, just, just quickly, sorry. Yes, um, I note on Pasuk Bet, I think it was, we gave three opinions um, for the Mu, for Ariri, exactly, thank you, I think it was. Um, Two. Oh, maybe I'm looking at two opinions. I'm looking, oh, I'm looking in, sorry, Damesek. Sorry, for Damesek. Damesek. In Pasuk, yeah, in Pasuk Bet. Um, yes. We said, um, we gave an answer for the first one. Um, or like, um, well, what was lacking was that usually it's the name and the place. And that ah, kind of yes. Thing. But did we give reasons for the Midrash and also the third explanation of why we need three, say, or what they're lacking in? Very good. Uh, very good that you asked that question. Um, because you might have heard from me or from other people that when Rashi gives more than one explanation, we need to ask what's lacking in each. And I didn't explain that because I actually didn't find an answer to that. So well spotted. I found an answer to what's lacking in the first one, which probably you could say is lacking the second one as well. The second one was he's called um, Domesek because he chased the kings up to Damascus, um, in which case he'd probably be called Eliezer HaDamaski as well. So really the question applies to the first and second, in which case your question becomes, why does he need the first and the second? Mm. Uh, and I don't know. So we'll leave that also as a good question. Thank you. Okay, thank you all. Emir Hashem, we'll see you next week. Thank you. Thank you, Rob. Thanks, Rob. Thank you very much.